Good morning. If you guys would please uh, join me as we uh, read through Hebrews 6, 1 through 8. Therefore, leave the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection, not laying against the foundation of repentance from dead works or of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gifts and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since, the, since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burnt. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together and uh, worship you freely, Lord God. I just thank you for Jackie. I just ask that you anoint him this morning and just uh, explain the word to us like uh, only he can. And I just thank you so much for all the opportunities that you've brought to this church, Lord. And I just thank you for... Uh, just allowing this church to be a light in this dark world, Lord, with all the things that are going on, all the studies, all the things that we're doing here, Lord, I just ask that you continue to uh, give us all strength and endurance, courage and boldness, Lord God, as we go out and we share the word with uh, those that don't know you yet, Lord God. I just ask for a special blessing for all of us that are going to Israel, Lord, and I just ask that you uh, watch over the church and the people here while we're gone. I just thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're here last week, you remember I told you that this week is a scary section of Scripture. And uh, it's one of those, definitely, that I, I mark up on the, uh, I don't know, they're not my favorite verses. You know, the ones that are so full of hope. This one says exactly what it seems like it's saying, right? And if you listen to what it's saying, well, we definitely need to understand what, what he's talking about here. We need to comprehend what it is that the writer of Hebrews is laying out for us. So we want to begin. Remember last time as we started, we talked about the idea that, that people were, had a, 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 began with a drift. Remember, they started to go adrift. Drifting led to dullness of hearing. Dullness of hearing led to, to unbelief. And now we come, as we come to our third uh, warning passage, as we look at our third warning passage, now there's a departure. There's a departure taking place. But we, we want to understand, because there's a call here from the writer of Hebrews to go on to maturity. And as we do this, we want to make sure we keep in mind the context of what we're looking at. So, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews, right? Hebrew believers. Hebrew believers. Jewish guys who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's going to figure into what we're looking at as we take apart the Scripture. We want to allow the Scripture to tell us exactly what he's talking about here. It begins in verse 1 with the phrase, therefore. So whenever we see therefore, we got to know what it's there for, right? So earlier, he was challenging us. Last week we were being challenged that there should be growth, right? That there should be growth. That we should be moving on to maturity. And this is what he's talking about here. To move on to maturity. Look at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. So, leaving the elementary principles of Christ. The discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. He's talking about going, moving away from those beginning, the beginning word that we received about Christ. What's Christ? Christ, sometimes we think of Christ as Jesus' last name. What does Christ mean? It's Messiah, right? So we're, we want to think about it in terms of the Jewish people who are reading it, right? 
the Jewish guys who are reading it, they're looking at it, and he says, okay, we need to turn from the elementary or beginning principles about Messiah. Messiah was, for the Jewish person, what? Their great hope. Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of that great hope because he is the Messiah. But there is a danger. There's a danger here specifically to the guys being written to that they are constantly looking for the Messiah and not recognizing that the Messiah has come. And they're constantly looking and going back to and questioning whether or not these things are true and they haven't moved past the reality of what Scripture teaches us. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That He fulfills that role and purpose. And so the call is to leave the elementary teachings about Messiah and go deeper. Now, think with me as we've been going, what's one of the things we've been introduced to about the ministry of Jesus Christ? That He is our High Priest, right? And He says, I want to get into these deep things. I want you to understand how it is that our Messiah is also our High Priest and what a great High Priest He is. But I need you to to recognize, to move, to go beyond the beginning. To move on to perfection. To move on to perfection. To move on to going. The call is a call for the decision for spiritual growth. Move on to perfection. Now when we look at that word perfection, it's used a bunch in the New Testament and in the Old. Especially the Septuagint of the Old, the Greek word. So it's used for several things. Let's think about it. It's used for that which is made whole or complete. Think about these words that Jesus said. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as my Father in heaven is perfect. The idea is that that it's a picture of completion. Completion. It's interesting because the Bible teaches us several things about numbers, you know. We hear people talk about, well, that's a, this number means that, that number means this. You ever heard that? Yeah. Well, the Bible tells us that the number of man is six. So we don't have to guess about that one. Right? The number of man is six. In fact, we read about it in Revelation when we get uh, uh, that far on Wednesday nights. We're going to be studying about a book or about a number that is the perfect number of man. His number is 666. Oh, you guys have heard that number before, right? So, it speaks of man's imperfection. Now we go back to Christ. It speaks about man's incomplete. Man's not complete apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus taught. Jesus stood before the masses on this day, the festival of lights, and you have these giant menorahs around. Giant menorahs around. And he's telling the people, look, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And later on, he's telling his disciples as he's passing by, as he's walking by, uh, the temple, he says, they are looking at the temple and the beauty of the temple and, dis- and inscribed on the temple are pictures of menorahs. And Jesus looks at it and says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So you have one vine and a menorah, right? One straight staff with a light at the top. And then you have three branches on either side. The number of man is six. Man is only complete when he is attached to the vine. If we're going to be complete, as our Father in heaven is complete, then I have to be attached to the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. We're able to bear fruit when? When we're attached to the vine, right? Do we bear fruit on our own? Nope, we've got to be attached to the vine. We've got to be together. So there's that idea of, let us move on to perfection. Let us move on to completion. To completion. Hold on to that idea. Let's look also. It's also used of maturity. Just going forward in maturity. And in Colossians 1.28 it says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, where? In Christ. Perfect in Christ. So it can also mean a a maturing in our relationship with Christ. Now, as we put these thoughts together, you understand where we're going to, right? Because as we look at this section of Scripture, the question is going to be, are the people that we're talking about saved or not? Because if the people we're talking about are saved, then they're losing their salvation and it's impossible for them to renew themselves again to repentance. 
So we have to, we have to look. What is the text? What is it laying out for us? Is this the kind of maturity we're being called to? The third way it's used is to, is to move forward in biological growth. You know, like from a baby to a man? That form of growth, same word for perfection. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> to Him be glory now and forever. Amen. That word, but grow in the knowledge, is the same word for perfection. Same word for completion. It's the same all the way through. So is that what he's talking about? Just just growing uh, from a baby to an adult. Is this stages in a person's understanding or knowledge of Christ? Is that what he's bringing out? And the fourth way it can be used is it can be used as completing a task. Finishing a task. Listen, Paul said this in Acts twenty twenty four. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race. That word finish is the same word. Perfect. That I might finish my race. Jesus used it in John 4.34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Perfect. His Work. So as we come, we want to understand this decision, this call to maturity, this call to going on, this call to moving forward with God. Is this a call of being a babe in Christ and then growing in maturity in Christ? Or is it, is it a call to finish something that was begun or that you began or that you took a step toward and God is calling us to finish that? And if we're going to do that, then we have to understand the details of the foundations that he wants us to move away from in our growth. Look at it. It says, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do. If God permits. So he's telling listen, I want you to, to move away from the primary, the principal teachings of the Messiah. I want you to move away from these three couplets. He, he joins these, these uh, six ideas together. They're joined together and they're joined together for a reason. And so we want to understand, okay, so we're supposed to depart from the basics. We're supposed to make a decision for spiritual growth that we would go on to perfection but then, what, what are the details of that foundation that he's talking about? What is he, what is he, I, I just gotta nail it down. Who, who are these people? Who are the guys he's discussing? Well, let's look at it. First, the first couplet deals with our commitment to God. Our commitment to God. He said that you would, that you would, um, go for repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Repentance, from dead works and of faith toward God. So it's talking about a commitment to God. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says this, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is like filthy rags. Right? We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. What is this idea of dead works? Dead works. Trying to do or... Or accomplish a system that we think uh, approves us before God. But the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us that only faith pleases God. Faith, our ability to trust Him. Our ability to believe the things that He's told us. To hold fast to Jesus Christ. So there's an idea of turning away from dead works. From dead works. Now, are there... Are there good works? Yeah, you know what the Word of God tells us? That, that we, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to do good works that have been appointed to us before the foundation of the world. Jesus says, long ago I wrote down these good works for you to accomplish. You're going to accomplish them in me. So we have a little bit of a hint. What's that little bit of a hint? He's just straight out throwing dead works. Dead works are not going to save you. Doing something good for Jesus does not save you. It says in Titus 3.5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. It's grace. 
By grace you have been saved. Yeah? Through faith. Not works. This is the discussion that he's calling these guys to. The people he's talking to in chapter 6 verse 1. The Hebrews that he's reaching out to. He's saying, man, you got to call them to leave the basic principles of who Messiah is. you got to call them to, to, to growth, to complete what, they, what they've looked at, to finish something. And then to, to understand their commitment to God means a repentance from dead works. And a movement to what? The second part of the couplet is faith toward God. Move away from dead works and toward faith in God. Jesus said, we got to be able to believe the things he said before we can do anything for him. Otherwise, we got the cart in front of the horse and it just don't work. It just doesn't work. we got to have faith in God. we got to have faith in God. In Habakkuk 2.4, it says this, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live how? By faith. The just shall live by faith. Does that come up over and over again in the word? In Romans 1, 16 and 17. Look at it. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. For it's a power of God. To salvation for everyone who does what? Everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the... Just shall live by faith. The just, the ones who are justified, will live by faith. Believe God. That's where it all starts. It doesn't start with good works. Does good works come? Sure they do. When? You're attached to the vine. If I'm not attached to the vine, I can't do nothing. I'm just a dead stick. Blowing in the wind. i got to be attached to the vine. I'm made complete when I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm made complete in Him. So first, they're called to make a commitment to God. Understand a commitment to God. Not about works, but it's about faith. Next, the celebration of this commitment. It's interesting because he says he's gonna, he wants them to move away from the... Or understanding of the doctrine of baptisms with an S. Baptisms. Literally the word is washings. Washings. One of the interesting things we'll get to do in Israel, we'll see something called the mikvah. The mikvahot. The mikvah was a, a station for ceremonial washing. They had ceremonial washing that would take place at the temple out of the bronze laver. Water to wash your hands, water to wash your feet, to get the blood off the priest before he went into the temple. But they also had, for anyone who wanted to come in and worship, they had a mikvahot where you would, it's like a, if you picture it, like a big jacuzzi, only there's no hot water, and you have this ramp that goes in a circle down to the water, The person would walk down into the water, dip themselves all the way under the water, and come up. And when they come up out of the water, they'd be given a white robe, and they would go on to worship. And that was part of the Jewish worship at the temple every time, every day, whenever they went. So he he lays out this idea of the, the celebration of their commitment to God. But he's saying, look, we don't want to lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works. And of faith to God. Or of the doctrine of baptisms. We don't want you constantly going back to the washing, the washing, the washing. Why? They're examples, guys. They're examples of what was a part of their life that is something that they need to turn from. They were all pictures of something that is perfected in the Messiah. Something that was perfected in Jesus Christ. They don't have to go back and wash themselves over and over and over in the mikvah to be made clean. Jesus makes us clean once for all. To turn away from this teaching, this idea, this concept um, that they had of, of baptisms, and then also the laying on of hands. Now immediately when we see the laying on of hands, 
from our mindset, we think about laying on hands, praying that someone would receive the Holy Spirit. And that's something certainly that the New Testament talks about. But that's not the only laying on of hands that was in the Scripture. What other laying on of hands was there? Every time the priest brought the sacrifice, he would lay his hands on the sacrifice and confess his sin to the sacrifice. The sacrifice would then die for his sin because by the shedding of blood, there would be a remission, a covering of sin. But we don't have to go back to that. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our Lamb. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. And the sins of the world were laid on His shoulder, right? He, he pays that price. So this is a call. Look, we don't have to go back to the celebration of the doctrine of baptisms and ceremonial washings. You'll see several times in the Scripture where Jesus gets yelled at. You remember? They yelled at Him about His disciples eating with unwashed hands. You guys remember the story? Well, you know, that unwashed wasn't that they didn't wash their hands. It was they didn't do the ceremonial washing before eating. There was a certain ceremonial practice. The water would first be, be poured uh, down your hands with your hands up. Then water would be poured down from your elbows with your hands hanging down. There was a process that they would go through ceremonially to make them clean. And Jesus said, you know, all those ceremonies you do aren't cleaning you. Jesus said, if you're dirty on the inside, then you're just dirty. You need to cleanse yourself on the inside, right? That it comes from within. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That they would turn away from (coughs) this doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands. And I just want you to, even if if the, the point of him is that he's talking about the laying on of hands... For the, for the Holy Spirit, I want you guys to understand, there were people in the Bible who tried to buy that, right? Do you remember? Simon the sorcerer? He comes and he says, yeah, can I buy that? I see you laying hands on people and, and God doing cool things, and I, I, I fancy myself a bit of a magician, so would it be okay that you lay your hands on me and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks and we can, you can, uh, you know, soup up my... My juice, I'll be ready to go out and, and uh, even become more famous. And Peter tells him, literally in the Greek, to hell with you and your money. <laughs> and the Bible's not so clean as you think it is. But you get the point, don't you? You get the point of what Peter's saying. So the idea here, man, we've got to move away from, from this stuff. And... <clears throat> The consequences. They understood commitment. They understood the, the, the ceremonies. They understood these things. Um, and they understood the consequences if they weren't done. That's, that's the next section. They would understand the resurrection of the dead and, and of judgment. The scripture laid out for us in, in, uh, Hebrews chapter 6. It lays out that that they would not only move away from the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Well, they had that. You Look, your average Jew understood all those things. They knew what that was about. In the book of Job, in Job 19, guys, it says this in verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer does what? Lives. Well, he's alive now. That's what Job was saying. And he will stand at last on the earth. So Job believes the Redeemer is coming. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I will see God. That's a pretty amazing statement, by the way. It speaks of a resurrection because after I'm dead and deteriorated, for me to see God in my flesh, I have to be resurrected to do that. In my flesh I will see God, whom I will see for myself. My eyes will behold Him and not another How my heart yearns within me. That was Job's desire to see his Redeemer. So they understood that, right? The Hebrews, the Jews, they understood these things. They had a form of religion. They had a picture that was painted for them for hundreds, thousands of years of a deliverer that would come and set them free. And when the deliverer came, it was so hard for them to move from the picture, from the shadow from the painting to the reality, that they would just stay 
in that same spot. And they weren't being completed. They weren't finishing the story. It'd be like a a guy going on deployment and he takes a picture of his wife. And he's got that picture with him the whole time he's on deployment. He's out there in deployment and, and he's away for seven, eight months and it's been a rough time and he comes home and he's so excited, you know, because he's been looking at this picture of his wife and he just can't wait. And so as they get to the airport, they come to the airport and here his wife comes running, but he just holds on to the picture. She comes running up and hugs him and that's all good, but all he can do is look at the picture. And the reality of what he's been longing for is right there. But he's not moving on to completion. He's not allowing the picture to be put down so he can see the reality of the promise standing right in front of him. And so we see the writer of Hebrews telling him, look, they understood about the resurrection of the dead. In Psalm 16, verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand and I will not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. The psalmist is saying, look, I know there's a resurrection. My flesh will glory in that moment when I see God face to face. When all of this that we've looked at, all of this foreshadowing has been accomplished. Man, when I see Him, I'm going to be able to see Him in my flesh. He, I will rise. This is not the end. That's what David in Psalm 16 was declaring. But not only did they believe in the resurrection, they also believed in judgment, right? Because there's a resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto... Yeah, that, that doesn't sound as good, right? That doesn't sound so good. Psalm 917. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So they understood there's also judgment. There's also judgment. They they have these teachings. But the call from the writer of Hebrews is we need to move past that. Those were all the pictures that point you to Christ. Because in Him is the resurrection. In Him is your sin judged. And if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, I don't care what works you do. They won't get you where you want to be. Because you don't know Him. And He don't know you. That's where it all has to start. And so this writer, the writer of Hebrews, remember he's focused on the Hebrew people. He's focused on the Jews. That's the title of the book, right? So he's saying to them, guys, look, there's a group of people who are right on the edge, right on the lip, right in the area where they could come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they're focused on all the old, the picture, the things behind, and they need to move across the line. They need to step across into what Jesus Christ has accomplished for them. They need to see all of those things. Isaiah 66, 24 says, And they shall go forth... And look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. That that seems bad. Right? So, I don't want to be in that line. They were stuck because they were allowing the distraction of the previous revelation to hold men. And they weren't seeing the finished work in Christ. And so he says of these people, this we will do if God permits. Because who is it that softens the heart? Yeah, God does that, right? There's only so much you and I can do. You agree? We can sow seeds, we can throw them, we're going to talk about that. We can sow seeds, we can throw them, but God's got to make that seed grow, right? We can water, we can water, we can water, but God's got to make that seed grow. There's a, a, there is a part for us, absolutely, to play, but we, we need God to move, and that's how we ought to be praying. 
right? We ought to be praying, God, do a work in them. And while we're praying, God, do a work in them, you better flip it. You, you need to do work in me too. Because look, guys, part of the problem is nobody ever thinks they got a stick sticking out of their eye. I haven't met a person yet. I haven't met a person yet who's judging somebody else who says, who says, you know, Jackie, I have a hard time seeing this clear because I got a log sticking out of my eye. We all think, oh, no, there's nothing in my eyes. Man. That's why Paul said, before you worry about that, get it out of your eye so you can see your brother, your sister, clear. Get it out of your eye. So we pray, God, soften their heart. God, open their eyes. i got to do the same for me. Every time I open up the Word of God, I want to pray, Lord, open my eyes so that I can find wondrous things in your Word. That's straight out of the Psalms. Open my eyes. I want to see, God. I want to know. I want to understand. That's the heart that we have to have. It's God who does that work. It's not because you're so special and smart. You're not so much better than all those other people out there that are perishing. God moved in your life. God touched you. Praise God. He needs to do that out there too, right? And He chooses to use us, knuckleheads, to help Him do it. So we want to be able to do that. We want to be able to do that. We want to see <coughs> people respond. So we want to see God open their hearts, touch their lives. Touch them. This section, second part of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, picking it up in verse 4. This is all about their exposure. The exposure that these people we've been talking about had to the gospel. So we're talking about a group of people having a hard time moving forward, getting out of what had already been taught and understood and into the old system and moving into a new. Understanding the sacrifices complete in Christ. But they had this exposure to the gospel. And this, these verses, 4, 5, and 6, are five participles that are not translated that way in English. Okay, I know none of you care about that. And I'm not going to give you grammar. Uh, I did all the grammar. I won't give it to you guys. I just want you to understand there are five participles. So when I tell you what this says, I'm telling you what those participles say. And so we first got to understand clearly what's being said before we jump to conclusions about what's there. Right? So we look at chapter 6, verse 4. 4. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become... <coughs> partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and of the powers of the age that is to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put them to an open chain. That, by the way, is definition of a scary section of Scripture. Here's what I want you to see right out the gate. When we read the Bible, we got to not lose sight of the little things that matter. You hear me say this all the time. Pronouns. You guys remember pronouns in school? Yeah? They matter, don't they? We should probably pay attention to what pronouns are being used. If we back up and we take a look at... <clears throat> back to verse 3. He says... We want to move from leaving the discussion of elementary principles. Let us, you see it? Let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, <coughs> and of eternal judgment. And this, what's the word? We. So the, the writer, he's talking to Christians, right? He's, he lumps himself in the group. Hey guys, this we will do if God permits. And then we come to verse 4. We come to verse 4. It says, for it is impossible for, what's the word? Those. Third person, plural. He's talking about a different group, isn't he? He's not talking about us anymore. He's talking about them. One of the things we discover as we work our way through Scripture, when that happens... They're always talking about unbelievers. When he uses third person plural, them, they. 
when he uses uh, first person, plural, or even second, he's, he's looking at the group that he places himself in. So we want to understand the difference in the use of the pronouns. The third person separates the true from the false. <clears throat> then we want to see a description of limited exposure. Limited. Look what it says. For it is impossible for those who were... What's the next word? Once. Once. That word once applies to all five participles. In the English... It doesn't read that way. In the Greek, it does. You can put once in front of them all. They were once enlightened, have once tasted, have once become partakers, have once tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Once, once, once goes all the way through. What's the point? It's a limited exposure. It's not maximum exposure. It means they were there. They were there when something happened. They got a chance to see it. They were around it. They were around it, but they're, they're not in and of it. They are still them. The detail of the initial acceptance. So it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have... See the word. What's that next one? Tasted. Tasted. Okay. Now we're talking, we just said limited exposure was the word once. Now we're looking at an initial acceptance. What do I mean? They tasted. They rolled it around in their mouth. But that word tasted is in the aorist tense, which means something happened once in a moment of time. Aorist. One time. It happened once in a moment of time. They tasted. If it was in the perfect tense, it would be it happened once and has continuing effect. This is the idea of, I tasted it. I had it, rolled it around in my mouth. I, I, I got an idea of what it's all about. But it doesn't carry the concept of having swallowed and made it a part of who I am. I just took a little taste. I just took a little taste. <laughs> the idea is there's an initial interest in the message of the Messiah. There's a, 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 an initial interest. There's an idea wrapped around him. So he's laying out for him that it is impossible for those outside, not us, for those who were once enlightened, they saw the light, who once tasted of the heavenly gift, they heard the gospel, they had a taste. They had a taste of what it was about and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Do we come to the concept, the idea of being a, a partaker of the Holy Spirit? So when we hold on to that idea, <laughs> the idea is, is a partaker, not a possessor. We're going to see it in a minute. Partaker, what do I mean? I mean, they were there. You know, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the church. You have 120 disciples preaching, speaking in tongues, guys thinking everybody's drunk. Everybody's hearing them in their own language. Peter stands up, gives a message that they can all understand. And as he lays out that message, the Bible says, 3,000 souls were added to the family. But how many souls saw it? How many souls were enlightened by it? Ooh. How many souls tasted? How many got an idea of what was going on? But that's as far as it went. That's as far as it went. It didn't enter in. And you see, when we hold that idea, when we think about that idea, then when I come to Matthew chapter 7, and I realize that everywhere Jesus went, you know He saw flawed people. Are you aware of that? It wasn't like when Jesus went through the street, just a few people were flawed. And, and the, the really okay people were, were actually the dirty bums. And they came to Him, but they weren't flawed. That's not actually what you think, is it? Okay, everyone on this planet is flawed, broken. So everywhere Jesus looks, he sees the same thing. Flawed people. We're all flawed. Some of them would come to him and they would cry out, Son of David, heal me. And Jesus would walk over and touch him. And he would heal him and maybe take away his leprosy. 
And Jesus would know in that moment whether or not that guy was ever going to come to him or not. Well, you're not going to have leprosy for the rest of your time on earth. But leprosy on earth is a small thing compared to eternity apart from God. He knew the hearts of them all. When he fed the masses, 5,000 men, not counting women and children, when he fed the 5,000, it says they wanted to take him and make him king, but he would not give himself to them because he knew their heart. They have full bellies, but they didn't want him. They had leprosy, but they didn't want him. They were blind, but they didn't want him. But Jesus did it all anyway. He touched. He healed. Knowing their hearts. And some on that day on Pentecost when the church was born and the Holy Spirit moved. They saw the Spirit. They understood that the Scriptures are fulfilled. Jesus is Messiah. We see it all. The Spirit moving in power. And they came gladly and received that which God had offered to them. But some people just... Tasted. Just a little experience. But I'm not ready to leave all this other stuff and come into the reality. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, for that person, there's no salvation anywhere else. It's impossible. To be renewed again to repentance. No sacrifice to offer. No thing you can do. It's by bowing the knee and surrendering our heart to Jesus Christ. That's it. That is the only way. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. What's it say? Depart from me, what? Workers of iniquity. Oh, you're caught up in your dead works. Caught up in your dead works. Gotta let that stuff go, man. Only Jesus Christ, Christ alone, is the only answer for us. It says in the beginning of verse 6, If they, you see the pronoun again, right? If they fall away. That's not there. It's a participle. The participle is, if I just read it plain, falling away. There's no if. It describes their condition. It doesn't describe what happens if someone was a believer and they fall away. It's not what he's talking about. He's describing the condition of the men he's talking about. The them, the they. He's saying these guys have fallen away. They're not coming. They didn't come up. They have not received that which Christ has given for them. And there is no other place to go. There's no other place to, to, to find what is missing. Falling away... <clears throat> To renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put them to an open shame. It is impossible falling away to renew them again. There's no other name under heaven by which men, what? Must be saved. Look, it's describing the person. We've seen the very same thing in the teachings of Jesus, guys. We saw it in the parable of the sower. You guys remember the parable of the sower? There were four soils that were each stood for the condition of men's hearts, right? The seed went to them all, didn't it? But how many of the four bore fruit? One. Don't miss that. The seed went out. Some of it even says it was received gladly and sprouted right away. But only one of the four bore fruit. Only one was real. What is it that the writer of Hebrews is warning us about? He's warning us about and challenging us <clears throat> to judge ourselves. 
We're so worried about judging everybody else, we ought to turn around and spend a little time in the mirror. Because the Bible says if you judge yourselves, you wouldn't be judged. Well, I mean, I mean, when I look in the mirror and I go, you know what? I'm, there's ugly in me. Before I worry about somebody else's ugly, I better take care of mine. Before I worry about all that other stuff, if, if we would judge ourselves and we would keep our hearts clean and we would do all those things, he's challenging us. He's challenging us to make sure your profession, your confession of Jesus Christ is real. And it's not just like those guys that were at the meeting. Maybe they walked around for the next several years and said, Man, I was there in Pentecost, crazy people talking to people getting healed. I was there when all that was going on. Well, hallelujah, good news. But unless you allow the Spirit of Jesus Christ to enter into your life, being there didn't do anything. You have to surrender. You have to receive. You have to believe. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Remember I told you we get to that idea of a partaker. In verse 12 it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. Listen. If we hold the beginning of our confidence, when? Steadfast to the end. Hey, we all know of people who have come to faith in Christ. And we don't know where they're at now. Gone, in the wind. And the question is, was what took place real or not? What the Bible tells, if it's real, they'll be with you. If they're not among you, they were never of you. That's what John writes. If they are not among you, they're not with you, then they were not among you. So we want to be a possessor of what Christ has. We want to lay hold of what He has. That means this has been the theme moving forward that we hold fast to Jesus Christ. That we hold fast to Him. That's our challenge. Holding fast to Him. Now look at the consequences. It says... And uh, it is impossible, having fallen away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs, useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. Now hold on to that thought. He's given us the idea of blessing and cursing. So what do we have? What are we looking at? We're looking at the, the perfection of what God is accomplishing in this. What's he saying? He's saying, look, here's the blessing. The rain symbolizes the word of God. We read about it in Deuteronomy 32.2. Isaiah 55 says the same thing. The rain symbolizes the word of God. Think about the parable Jesus told. The four soils casting what? The seed, which was the word of God, right? Well, here he says the rain. Rain is like the word of God. Comes on that soil. And when the Word of God comes on that soil, and that soil is prepared to receive that which the Word of God has, it will bring forth fruit. And when it brings forth fruit, real believer. Matthew 13, 8 and 9 says, But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But the curse... The curse says that same rain falls on the other ground. But what comes up on the other ground? Just thorns and briars. There's no fruit. (coughs) There's no fruitfulness. The cares of this life choke out all that fruitfulness. Just like Jesus said in the parable of the sower. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. So what's the consequence? The ground is rejected. When the ground is rejected, how does he write about it? He says that its end is to be burned. One soil brings forth life, one doesn't. Okay, so let's nail down this idea. Who are we talking to? Who is this group of people? Who's the identity of they? Some people say it's saved Jews who have lost their salvation. 
Some people say it saved Jews who are backslidden. I believe he's talking about a hypothetical case of Jewish believers. <clears throat> hypothetical case to warn Jewish believers that may think God has another way for them to be saved. Why? Because of verse 9. Look at verse 9, Hebrews 6, 9. He's been talking about they, them, they, them. And he says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. <clears throat> though we speak of this reality, this reality that if people don't enter in, if they don't enter into what Jesus Christ has for them, if they don't move from the primary principles of the concept of Messiah into the reality of who Messiah is. They don't lay down the picture and pick up the reality of Jesus Christ. There is not salvation anywhere else. No, it doesn't matter how many good deeds you do. How many good things you can put together. Jesus Christ, He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. And the challenge in the warning sections of the book of Hebrews for us is to make sure we have that one phrase nailed down. See, the book of Ephesians chapter 1 tells us of all the blessings we have. <clears throat> but they're all found in the same place. In Christ Jesus. We've got to be in Christ Jesus. Not in love with a concept. Not in love with a, a church gathering. Not in love with... Anything else but the reality of what Jesus Christ gives us, what He offers us, what He lays out before us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, So in Him, in Christ, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation, and in whom also you have believed, and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is your guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession when we see Jesus face to face. The challenge is make sure that's you. You are in Christ Jesus. Not in love or have a concept or a system, but a reality. Set down the picture. And enjoy the real relationship that Jesus Christ offers us. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.